You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey everyone, welcome back to a new video. Before I begin on the stories, I just wanted to mention, if you have your own personal scary story that you would like to send me for me to possibly narrate here on the channel, you can do so by sending it to southerncannibal.com. So if you have a personal true scary story that you'd like to share, please consider sending it my way. Now that all that's out of the way, let's begin. When I was a freshman in high school, only about 15 years old, there was a senior that joined my small circle of friends, and he decided he was going to own me, whether I felt the same way or not. Let's call this guy Maverick, for reasons that I won't disclose. He started out really nice, and his parents were really sweet people who befriended my mother. His family was from the South, so he had the southern politeness and charm one would expect, and it made him very likable. He even had a draw that I would have called cute at the time. He was good looking, but he just wasn't my type, so I had no interest in him in that way at all. Well, that wasn't acceptable to him, and he began a daily campaign of trying to convince me that we were made for each other, and we should be together. It was overbearing, and because he was part of my friend's group, I couldn't even see my friends without him tagging along, begging me to date him, to the point where even my friends were like, this is really pathetic, please just date him to shut him up. I had a boyfriend at the time who didn't take anything seriously, so he wouldn't stand up for me, and he'd just consistently laugh at Maverick's semi-creepy slash pushy behavior off. It got to the point where Maverick successfully pestered me into breaking up with my boyfriend to date him instead, just to get him to stop bugging me and being inappropriate. Little did I know, that was just the beginning. My mother and her boyfriend liked Maverick, and they didn't believe me that he was harassing me, because he had never displayed his creepy behavior in front of them, so I couldn't ask them to help me. They thought I was overreacting, as teenagers often do. Suddenly, after agreeing to date him, Maverick was everywhere. If I went somewhere, he had to be there too. If I wanted to talk to my best friend on the phone, he had to be there listening in on the conversation. He had to control literally everything in my day-to-day -day existence. Then, he realized our friends were starting to notice his controlling behavior, and he set about burning all my bridges behind my back. Lying to my friends, telling them I was talking badly about them when they weren't around, etc. All my friends started hating me, and I didn't know why. They simply walked away in disgust if I tried to sit with them at lunch or try conversing with them at school. He also made me dress the way he wanted. He started telling me my plans for the rest of my life with him, all of which were things he wanted, not me. He also started gaslighting me into believing we made these plans together as a couple. 
He was about to be 18, graduated from high school, and enlisted in the Navy, whereas I had just only turned 15. Why would I have my whole future planned out around a guy that I didn't even really want to date, let alone marry? If I wouldn't do something sexually degrading with them, which was often, as I was a virgin, and I didn't really want to do anything sexual yet, he would always try to do them with me while I was sleeping. He once came over to spend the night with me and my best friend in my house, sometimes when my mom didn't want me to be home alone if she was going to be working late. And then he'd go around telling everyone we knew what a nasty freak I was in the bedroom, just to punish me for rejecting him. I hadn't done anything of that sort with anyone yet, mind you. Hell, I think he was the only second or third boy I'd ever even kissed at that point in my life. He ruined my friendships, ruined my reputation, ruined my self-esteem, and found ways to keep me from being alone with my own mother so it can monitor my conversations with her to keep her believing that he was some sort of perfect gentleman. Well, his senior prom came around, and naturally, he wanted me to go with him. He wore a nice suit, I wore my best dress, and my mom dropped us off. I saw my friends there. One of my friends was a senior, so she brought everyone from our friends group with her to prom, and I tried to talk to them, but they snubbed me and they told me they didn't want to be seen with me. Suddenly, Maverick's obsessive behavior then shifted. I no longer existed. Why? Because he spotted a supermodel-esque thin, tall blonde that made me look like a chipmunk shoved into a sparkly Doritos bag. He wouldn't talk to me, he wouldn't dance with me, and he wouldn't sit with me. He followed her around the entire evening, his advances being rejected time and time again by the blonde. My friends just stood together, sipping their drinks, dancing and laughing at me, with serves you right smirks on their faces, while I just sat in a dark corner abandoned, until it was finally time for my mother to pick us up. She picked us up, and Maverick insisted that my mother, he, and I go out for dinner, but all I wanted to do was go home and just forget the evening ever even happened. I wasn't jealous. I was just really angry that he put me through all of that. While we had dinner, my mom and even our server just kept talking about what a keeper he was and how I was such a lucky girl, completely unaware of what he'd been doing to me. He maintained his all shucks ma'am boyish smile the whole time and I just wanted to throw something in his face and tell my mom and the server off, but I stayed quiet. When he went out of town one week for a family emergency, after almost a year of him constantly hovering around me, I finally took a step back and got a good hard look at what he had done to me in my life. I decided that I was done with this and I wasn't going to live like that anymore. I called him and broke it off over the phone. Yeah, I know it's harsh, but I knew it was my only opportunity to do so. He cried, raged, and cried some more. He put several of his family members on the phone with me, and they tried to convince me to see reason, and they told me I was being cruel for leaving him like this, while their family was clearly already in a crisis. I then got very rapey threats from his older brothers, all of whom were well into their 20s and 30s and knew where I lived. Still, I held my ground and just said no, this is my choice, you have to live with it, because I'm not going to be living like this anymore. Then the stalking began. 
he started hanging around outside my house whenever he knew my mom wasn't there, camping out on my front porch, looking in my windows, calling the house phone, ringing the doorbell, and knocking for hours a day. While I would be hunkered down in a dark corner hiding behind the couch with all the lights off until he finally gave up and left, usually right before my mom would be coming home in the evening. This wasn't a one-time occurrence either. This happened daily for months. He would beg me to speak to him, to come out of the house. His older brothers would threaten me with every kind of violence imaginable if they saw me, and he and his brothers would cruise by my house at all hours to see if I was home alone. They set things on fire and put them through the mail slot in my front door. They'd trash our front yard. Any plants that my mom would grow in the yard would be destroyed. Any decorations my mom would put up around the house would always be smashed to bits. Still, my mom wouldn't believe a word that I said about it. Instead, choosing to believe that my friends were doing all the damage, further isolating me away from them and making her more and more angry with me for letting my friends destroy our home. Sometimes it was my friends, because he had everyone believing that I was some horrible person who was out to get them. He really was just that charismatic. Everyone wanted him to like them, so they really did believe every word that he said. That whole year was a nightmare after I met him, and I had a giant target on my back for everyone around me. The threats and attacks on me and my home only stopped after my mother and I moved away to live with her boyfriend, because I didn't tell anyone where I was going. Well, a few years later, I found out that he had started seeing one of my friends after I moved, and he began doing all the same things to her, and that he had openly bragged to her about all the awful things he had done to me. That wasn't enough of a red flag for her to leave him, though. She didn't decide to get him out of her life until she found out that he was cheating on her with her own ex, because he apparently wanted to punish her for her strong-willed behavior. He and his brothers were all utterly insane. I'm really fucking glad that I managed to get away from him. So, the story is about my sister, Kia. She was around 18 years old when she called me excitedly, telling me how she met this amazing guy and that they moved in together. She really wanted me to meet him and swore that I would just really love him. I was in southern Utah at the time, and she was in northern Utah. We arranged for a weekend that I would come up and stay with them so that we could meet and I could visit with her. Now, for some context... My sister is beautiful. She was always sought after by all the boys in our school. She had blonde hair, slim physique, big chested, and bluish slash green eyes. She's extremely talented and can play any instrument she picks up, as well as has an amazing singing voice. She could literally have any guy that she wanted. I made the four hour drive for our planned weekend when I pulled into the parking lot complex of their apartment. It was old and run down and just really trashy and scary. When I walked in and hugged my sister, her boyfriend then came out of a back room. She then introduced me to Zach. I honestly thought that she was kidding. This was a 30 to 31 year old man that was bald, had a beer belly, looked like a drug user, literally had dentures and smelled of stale cigarettes. I was pretty much disgusted right off the bat. Not only was this man not good looking at all, 
he clearly didn't take care of himself. I also found out very quickly that he was extremely rude to her. He would then do something that has always bothered me. He would make little hurtful jabs at her right in front of me. Things that can be embarrassing for her. And just really makes him look like a piece of shit. He left for his job at Taco Bell. And my sister excitedly asked me what I thought of him. Now, I'm a very honest person. And I held nothing back. I shared my opinion that I thought he was a piece of shit. And that he treats her really bad. And that I was really worried about her. She tried defending him. Like that's just how he is. And that I should really get to know him better. I was already going to be there for the weekend. So I knew I was going to get to know him whether I wanted to or not. It was like the more I spent time with him. The more uneasy I got. He was way too touchy with my sister right in front of me. He would say things like. She doesn't do shit around here. And just really demeaning and disgusting things. I spent my weekend there and left back home. I also spoke my piece, and that's really all I could do. Well, some time passed, and she turned 19, when they decided they would get married. I was so disappointed and not happy at all, because I knew he was bad. But what do you do? Not long after they married, my sister wanted kids, but I was worried she couldn't have any, as she has endometriosis. Meanwhile, my other sister... I'll call her Callie, got pregnant when she was 15, and she decided to give up her baby. Well, Kia and Zach jumped on this, and my other sister agreed to let them adopt her. I felt compelled to reach out to Callie, pleading with her to rethink allowing this adoption, as Zach was not a good person. She was actually upset with me, and she said that she fully trusted them. The adoption proceeds... And at this point, Kia and Zach and their new baby girl live with me and my parents, which made me feel a little better. They moved into a townhouse shortly after, and I really feared for my niece. They soon moved back up to northern Utah, and again, I went up to visit my sister and niece for a weekend. At this point, my niece was right around a year old. I was mortified. She was crawling around on a carpet covered in cat shit with blood in it. There was tobacco leaves all over her high chair, where they would roll their own cigarettes to save money. And of course, Zach never stopped being a dick to both Kia and now my niece. I endured the weekend and just tried to spoil my sweet baby niece. A few months after I left, my sister called me about something serious that happened. This was the first time that she actually told me that Zach got physical with her. He apparently put his hands on her, and she kicked him full force, and he landed on their tile coffee table and broke the tile with his body. Now, my sister's petite, but very strong. I was so proud of her. But then she told me she was arrested on domestic violence, and she was forced to take anger management class, and I was furious, knowing full well that he was the one that needed those classes. They continued their relationship, and some time passes, she then starts a job at 7-Eleven and gains a good group of friends, more like family. Well, one day her coworker watches her walk into work with a black eye, and it was so bad that she couldn't open it. She was so angry and called the police. Zach was finally arrested for domestic violence and child abuse, 
because he actually did this in front of their three-year-old daughter. He bashed her face into his knee, punched her, choked her, and chased her down the street, yelling profanities all in front of my sweet niece. Well, surprise, surprise. He was only sentenced to around nine months in jail. During that time, my sister decided that she was finally going to file for divorce, as she's had enough. I was so proud of her. They were successfully granted a divorce, and he moved to Wyoming, while my sister continued to live in Utah. I really wish the story ends here, but it doesn't. Around four months after he got out of jail, he shows up at my sister's house and knocks on a window, begging to see his daughter. She refused, and she told him she would meet him the next day so he could see her. The next morning, she followed through on her word and took her daughter to see him. She said that it was really weird and that he was acting all paranoid, but that they had a quick 15 to 20 minute visit and then she went back home. About a week later, she gets a phone call from a detective in Wyoming and they were asking if they were speaking with Kia. Well, she told the detective who she was and the detective asked if she had seen Zach recently and she said yes. The detective then asked other basic questions and told her to under no circumstances to meet him again, as he's very dangerous, and that they are currently looking for him in connection to the murder of his current girlfriend. Her heart then sank, as she realized he had just murdered his girlfriend, then came to visit their daughter afterwards. The detective did later contact her, telling her that he was caught, and that he was being charged for a murder. She described the murder, stating that it was one of the worst she had ever seen. She had apparently been beaten to death and stuffed in a closet in their mutual apartment. This woman was in her 40s and also had children. My sister later on had to testify in the trial. He was sentenced to 60 years in prison. I've heard since he's been in prison that he's now dying of cancer. Sorry, not sorry. He's a real piece of shit that deserves to die a slow and painful death without any of his loved ones. And I really hope that happens. Always trust your gut instincts. The voice at the back of your mind? Well, it can be trusted most of the time. And this is something I learned the hard way in 2018. In retrospect, I'm lucky to be alive. I was 27 when I met him. My friends and I still call him Tweak Tweak, but I'll call him T here. I'd been divorced for about six months before I started dating again. Unfortunately, I started using plenty of fish, which has a very bad reputation in that particular city. After three dates, I came to the conclusion that we weren't compatible. At first, I noticed several erratic behaviors that unnerved me. Then he revealed that he was unemployed, a convicted felon, and that he had been to jail several times. I was upfront about how I felt, and after protesting a bit, our courtship ended. At some point, T's mother reached out to me via social media. She told me that I would be very wise to keep my distance, and that T was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. He had a three-year-old son that she and her husband were raising, despite the fact that T was living in their home. T had caused many problems in the home since being diagnosed, 
and being six foot five, his mother had called the police multiple times to escort him from the property in an effort to protect the child. Well, about two months later, T had called me out of the blue. He said that he had hitched a ride to a city 70 miles from his parents' house. He had left some belongings in my car and that he needed me to drop them off. Perhaps I felt empathetic at the moment because he was mentally ill. I can't think of another reason as to why I agreed to drive his junk all the way up to the city he was staying in. T requested that I make the trek in his broken down quarter ton truck. The truck was so broken down that it had to be started by sticking a screwdriver into the ignition. Without telling him, I opted out of this and resolved to drive my Toyota. After crossing into the next state, I called him for directions. He answered and immediately sounded highly agitated and yelled, Don't call me here again. They're listening. They're always listening. T then handed the phone to the man who owned the house. Confused, the man asked when I would arrive. I told him I would be there as soon as possible and hung up. I entered the house and was greeted by a 60-year-old military veteran who walked with a cane. He directed me to the back porch where T was cleaning the grill. As he had cleaned, he mumbled something about cleansing the backyard and the house of meth and other drugs. The homeowner was clearly stone-cold sober. I'd let T know that I'd left his belongings in the living room. He replied by narrowing his eyes at me and yelling, I know you didn't drive straight up here. I left a tracking device on your car. I felt my eyes widen, and I started to walk back to the front door in an effort to leave. The homeowner asked me to stay there for a while and talk to T. For some reason... I took a seat on the couch and proceeded to listen to T talk late into the night. He was clearly manic and was drinking whiskey from a bottle. Even then, despite my inner voice telling me to go home, I stayed. At some point, I had dozed off. I awoke hours later to the strong smell of bleach. I sat up and spotted T, walking from one end of the house to the other with a bottle of Clorox. I asked what he was doing and he just replied with, Everything needs to be cleaned. I can still smell the drugs in this house. I also spotted an empty whiskey bottle on the kitchen counter. The homeowner hobbled out of his bedroom, cane in hand, and yelled, What in God's name is going on out here? All of the hard floors between the rooms were covered in a mixture of bleach and water. The mixture was seeping into the carpets, and the entire house reeked of the chemicals. I then stood up and I told the homeowner that I was leaving. He looked at me and said, You need to take your friend with you, T. It's time to go, man. I quickly said, No, he isn't riding with me. I have to go. And I started toward the door. I heard the homeowner pick up the phone and call the police. Within two minutes, three cruisers pulled him to the house, blocking me into the driveway. I sat in my car and waited while they could be heard talking to T in the house. Eventually, one of the officers emerged and asked if I would be willing to drive T home. Again, ignoring my intuition, I stupidly agreed to do so. A few minutes into the drive, T requested that I stop at a subway. At some point, he had managed to take my car keys from my purse. 
he aggressively insisted that he drive into the next city. Apprehensively, I climbed into the front seat and buckled my seatbelt. His dog Shadow sat in the back seat whining. T then turned into a busy road and quickly picked up speed. He then started mumbling about the tracking tile on my car. As he accelerated, my fear doubled. I attempted to pull my phone out of my pocket to text someone, anyone, for help. He noticed my phone, plucked it out of my hand, and then threw it out the window. What the hell? I yelled. What? Your GPS was on. He yelled back. As I started to protest, he reached down and pulled the emergency brake, hard, while traveling at 45 miles per hour. We skidded into a side street, and I felt the tires on the passenger side crash into a curb. The airbags didn't deploy, but I still hit the window to my right with a thud. Before I could process what happened, T grabbed the key out of the ignition and got out of the car. I screamed for him to give me the key back, and he made a swift motion, indicating that he had thrown it over a fence and into the backyard of a local business. He then continued to walk down the street, leaving Shadow in the car, screaming incoherently. A resident across the street poked her head outside, and she asked if she could call animal control for the dog. Yeah, please do, I said, in the hopes that someone would come to intervene. But before the resident could do so, T returned, and I saw that he still had the key in his hand. I shakily and quietly demanded that he return the key, but again... He just insisted that he had to drive in order to evade whoever was following us. From that point forward, if I opened my mouth, he loudly told me to shut up or stop talking. I told him that he needed to stop the car and get out. He waved through the streets and then menacingly said, Sure, sweetheart. I can take you to the police station. The cops know me very well. I was too afraid to say anything more at that point. An hour later, he stopped the car and exited, leaving the key in the ignition. I hopped over the console, the dog still in the back seat, and shut the door. Through the window, he screamed that if I left with the dog, he would report it to the police. Again, in fear, I stayed until he returned from God knows where about 30 minutes later. He asked to be dropped off at a Motel 6 making it clear that he expected me to stay with him while he waited for the drugs to leave his bloodstream. He had only consumed marijuana and whiskey the night before. I said I would drop him off, but that I was going to drive him home after that. In the middle of the interstate, while driving 60 miles per hour, T said that unless I agreed to stay, that he would pull the e-brake and kill us both. I kept my mouth shut after that. We arrived at Motel 6, he checked in, and I drove around the back of the building. In an effort to comply and facilitate a smooth exit, I turned the engine off, stuck the key in the front pocket of my jeans, and proceeded to carry his laptop up to the room while he carried two large suitcases. He shut the door behind him, turned his phone off to disable the GPS, and he sat down on the bed. I left the laptop on a side table and turned to leave. Wide-eyed, he said. You can't leave. I can still smell the meth on you. I'd like to add that I've never done drugs in my life. 
I didn't say a single word after that, though. He immediately launched into a long manic tirade. As he paced around the room, I slowly reached for my purse. He caught me in the act and grabbed me by my shoulders. I shrugged him off and quietly told him not to touch me. His eyes turned black and he grabbed my shoulders yet again. Noticing an open window, I then yelled, Get your fucking hands off of me! And to my surprise, he let go. As he backed up, he said, If you leave now, I'm going to call the cops and let them know that you have drugs in your car. Again, I've never touched drugs in my life. At that point, I just no longer even cared. I snatched my purse, opened the door, and walked to my car as quickly as I could. It took less than five minutes for the police to find me and pull me over. For the first time in my life, I was actually relieved to see the flashing lights in my rearview mirror. By that point, T had left my car in shambles. I was shaken up and exhausted, and I needed to be protected. Both of the officers listened very intently to every word, as I then gave them the entire story from start to finish. Out of sheer desperation, I let them know that they were welcome to search my vehicle if necessary. They then assured me that a search wouldn't be necessary, as they waited to hear from the officers who reported to Motel 6. A few minutes later, the officers relayed to me that T didn't want me to come back to the room. I stated that I had no desire to do so, and that I planned to drive home. To ensure my safety, as they called it, the officers followed me under the freeway before going back to Motel 6. Over the next few days, I received countless voicemails from T. In one of the messages, he furiously stated that he was taken to a hospital by the police. In another, he demanded that I bring his truck back, along with more marijuana, as well as a rifle that he was storing at his parents' house. The final few calls came from the county jail and the state mental hospital. His mother reached out to me again, apologizing profusely for the experience. She also claimed that they would pay for the damages to my car. But of course, this never happened. I changed my phone number shortly thereafter, and I have not heard from T or his mother since then. I also moved to a new city, and fortunately, my life has been free of Tweak Tweak ever since. And to drive the point home, please trust your gut when it tells you something is wrong. It could save your life. I happen to be one of the lucky ones, and I do not take that for granted.